Well, good evening. I know we're going out a little bit out of order from what you see in your bulletins. We will actually still have the missionary presentation that will be at the end of the service after I'm done preaching. I just wanted to say it's been a privilege being able to get up here. This is my third week and last week for a while, but being able to get up here and be able to preach and share what God has laid on my heart. Um, I was telling Pastor beforehand, um, it's amazing because this is just me preaching once a week. Pastors having to do this week in, week out, um, morning and evening. But as I stopped to think about it, as I was talking with him, God's grace is always sufficient, isn't it? To be able to do this, especially as we dive into the Word of God and really prepare the way that it was meant to be prepared to make sure that we are accurately handling the Word of God. Um, So tonight's message is going to be, the last one is going to be on faithfulness. My God is faithful and my God is good. So the first week we talked about my God is holy. Last week we talked about my God is merciful and gracious. And just to do a little review, we talked about looking at God's mercy and grace. We saw in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, we talked about our desperate condition. We talked about his rich and abundant mercy and grace, how it never ends. We talked about his calling on us for good works. Then we talked about living out God's mercy and grace and what his mercy teaches me. We talked about how um, he's required of us to do justice, but to love mercy. And so often we have that backwards where we love mercy, or love, love justice and do mercy. Then we talked about what his grace teaches me. His grace teaches me to deny ungodliness. That's living my life as if God doesn't even exist. And then also to deny worldly lust. That's anything that I love more than I love God. Those are two things that we went through. And then it also teaches us to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly in this present world. But tonight I'm going to talk about faithfulness and goodness. And you may think, okay, this will be be an easy message to hear. But as I prayed about this and prayed, what passage, Father, do you want me to share with you tonight? This is probably the hardest one that I have to share. And you'll see why in just a few minutes. But before I get going too much into this, what, what does it mean to be faithful. So you can give me a few answers. I'll say it so people on live stream can hear it. So what's it mean to be faithful? Just shout out answers. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any answers? What's it mean to be faithful? Consistent. Consistent. Okay. That's a great word for that. Consistent. What else? Reliable. Reliable. What else? Loyal. Loyal. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. You must have read my notes, okay? <laughs> what else? All right, so we get the idea of what faithfulness means. Reliable, trustworthy, consistent. Uh, I have the definition here, one that can be relied upon, worthy of trust, trustworthy. And then the next one is good. What does it mean to be good? I think we understand what good looks like, but what does it mean to be good? So give me some feedback on this one. What's it mean to be good? Integrity, Integrity that's good. Okay? Very good, very good word for that. I think we should just stop at that one. I think that was probably the best one we'll get. All right, we'll stop at that one. All right, integrity it means upright, honorable. It means also, in a slimmer sense, benevolent, kind, and generous. These are all qualities that help to describe what is good. You may ask, why, why is this a hard message to preach? Do we ever question God's faithfulness and goodness? I think if we're honest, there may be times that we've experienced in our life where we have questioned or doubted God's faithfulness and goodness. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Okay, about two years ago, my grandpa Wyman, um, he was 97 years old, lived a good long life. He was saved when, he was around, when it was about 1980, so about 41 years before he passed. In November of... of 2021, my family and I, we went up to Michigan to attend his funeral, Um, heard a great service, heard about his testimony, heard about how he liked to witness the people. One of my favorite stories is he would often take people on hunting trips, and he would take this big, long ride. He would invite a person who's not saved, invite somebody who is saved, and it used to be those just front, front seat trucks. He would stick the person that's not saved right in the middle... And then he and the other guy across from him would talk back and forth 
about how happy they are about salvation and give the whole gospel message without even saying a word to the person in the middle, but the whole time they had to be uh, a hearer of the gospel message. But there were several people that they talked about that because of his testimony and his boldness, uh, they got saved. I mean, a very faithful man, one who I look up to. If you ever go in my office, I've got uh, pictures of him from World War II. I have a sextant that he used when he was an officer in the uh, Merchant Marines during World War II. He served in both the Atlantic and Pacific. Uh, I'd love for you to come by at some point, and I can show you that. It's pretty awesome, pretty neat, pretty neat story. Um, but we went up there, and then a couple weeks later, we went up to um, see my sister because we already had that trip planned. So we went up there for Thanksgiving, and at that time, we went to visit who is my step-grandma, uh, Grandma Helen, um, go to see how she's doing. And she said, well, there's some stuff that people have left here. Uh, Everybody that wants anything has gone through to see what they want. That's left over from Grandpa Wyman. And she's like, you're welcome to go through it. So I started going into, into the room where some of his stuff was. And one of the things that was left there was his Bible. This was the Bible he got when he got saved. To me, I didn't want anything else. This is it's the most precious thing I could have gotten. Well, I'm already losing it. <laughs> it's, all right. So to bring, bring it back in. But anyway, so I start going through his Bible. And it's interesting as you go through somebody else's Bible after they passed... You see a lot of marks. You see a lot of notations. You see things left in there. It, it tells a story of their relationship with God. And I saw a lot of things in there. And I always said, one day I'm going to get up here. I'm going to, I'm going to preach one of the passages in here that was especially meaningful to him. So I'm going through it, and there's pictures in there. And then I, I come across one spot in the Bible and I look in there, and there, there's a, a Ziploc bag. It's still in this Bible right now. And it's got a newspaper clipping. I, I open it up. It's an obituary of my grandma from 1995. I was seven when my grandma passed. It was, I still remember her. She was, she was amazing. Um, I remember how much care she had for me and, and the rest of the family and the time she would spend with us. Uh, she introduced me to cotton candy uh, at first. Okay, this is a funny story before I get too much further. The first time I saw cotton candy, you know what I thought it was? Dryer lint. <laughs> and she's like, you should eat this. It's so good. And I'm like, Grandma, it's dryer lint. She finally got frustrated with it. She's like, fine, I'm going to eat it. And she started eating it. Finally, I take a bite. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. Can I have more? She's like, nope, you should have eaten it sooner. Uh, she was a good grandma. She introduced me to milkshakes. But she passed away in 1995 from from a heart attack, and I saw that newspaper clipping right there, and I think you know where I'm going with this. It was, it was Psalm 77, and I wondered why it was right there until I started reading that psalm. In the very first six verses, it's all about Asaph. It's about his grief, intense grief that he has, and you fast forward, you get to verse number seven. It says this, Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. It's obvious from my grandpa's life it didn't end there. But at that moment when he lost his wife, when my grandma passed, it's obvious he was going through these kind of questionings that even Asaph in the Psalms was going through at this time. As Christians, we don't usually question God's sovereignty and power. We have no doubt about that. I mean, we can look at the world around us and know God is sovereign. He is powerful. He's, he knows what's going on. But sometimes we can question is he faithful? Is he good? Why would a good God let me go through this? And we can begin to question that. If we're not careful, 
that can draw us away from God. But God, in his wisdom, put these in his scripture for us to turn to, to know what to do during these intense times. For humans in general, we are either in the midst of a trial, we're coming out of a trial, or we're about to go into another trial. This, these are things that, that Christ told us. Don't be surprised when these things happen. James talks about trials. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or various trials or temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience, you know what that word means? That means steadfastness, enduring. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or complete and entire wanting nothing. You see, God uses trials in our life ultimately to make sure that we are following him and him alone. In other words, that we're being faithful to him, that we're singularly focused on him. It's the one thing in life that really grabs our attention. You look at Israel, when did they fall away? It was during the times when times were really good. When did they come back to him? Through the hard times. And we're no different than the Israelites. We, God knows we need those hard times. But in the midst of those things, a lot of questions can begin to arise. So through trials, we can either draw closer to God, as God intends for us to do, or sadly, I've seen some people move away from God and turn away from him, and that's the saddest thing because that's the most hopeless place you can go to. So I want you to turn to your Bibles. Today we are going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. So if you know Lamentations, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, if you know his nickname, he was called what? The weeping prophet. Okay? So in Lamentations chapter 3, we see that Jeremiah is obviously going through something very, very similar in his life. So just to give you a little bit of background, during this time, the book of Lamentations... It was written during the third invasion by Babylon when the, the Babylonians were besieging uh, Jerusalem. This, the siege lasted for about two years. And I don't want to get too graphic, especially with kids in here, but just know that after two years of being cut off from supplies, no food, water's probably bad, the, the city is very dirty, people are dying left and right. It's a very terrible picture. I mean, it's... it's he was in the midst of a war. And he's looking around and seeing all these different things happening right in front of him. You remember, he was called to a people that would not listen. He warned them, he warned them, he warned them, and yet they would not listen, they would not turn. Isaiah, he came about 130 years sooner. He was warning them too, they did not listen. It was this continually running away from God by the Israelites. And finally, this moment comes. This is the last one where they're all taken to Babylon. There's a remnant left behind. But in verse number 1, and going through verse number 18, I'm going to summarize this for sake of time tonight. But we see Jeremiah for 18 verses straight. You can see he has questions of faith. There's doubts that he's experiencing in his life. So I'll summarize these. Some of these are paraphrased. But it says, Jeremiah, he had... Seen and experienced terrible things. And it almost comes across that he believes God opposed him because he says these things. He has brought me into darkness. He has turned his hand against me. He has made my flesh and my skin old and has broken my bones. He has surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has put me in the dark. He has trapped me and given me heaviness. He does not hear my prayer. He has shut me off and made me wander. He is like a bear and a lion that is lying in wait, and he has torn me apart. He has shot his arrows into my heart. He has filled me with bitterness. He has broken my teeth with gravel stones and covered me with ashes. He has taken my peace so that I have forgotten happiness. And this is the saddest part, verse number 18. My strength and my hope has perished from the Lord. If we were to define this, he was in hopeless despair. Looking around and seeing everything around him, just, just the sheer nature of the terror of everything around him and the suffering around him, he, he was a man in despair. 
But like I said before, God did not just end the story here. It didn't just stop there and we're like, well, that was a miserable story. What do we do now? It continues from there because God is a merciful and gracious God, and he is also a faithful and good God, and he does not want to leave us in this hopeless pit. By the way, the reason there is this suffering in this world, just going back to the beginning, is because ultimately of sin. Every trial, everything we experience, it's, it's a result of, of sin. Whether it's our sin or somebody else's sin, it's, it's a result of the sin curse on this world. So we, in our grief, we can relate to Jeremiah. I believe this is why God puts us in here, because as I believe with my grandpa, as he's reading that, it was something he related to. He's like, whoa, this, this is me. This is what I'm experiencing right now. And it's the same questions and doubts I have right now. God put these things in here so we have, we have a, a roadmap to hope, one that we can look to and know, what, what do I do now? How do I get out of this hopeless pit and so often we can be like the disciples when they're in the midst of the storm and the sea and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat and we can exclaim, do you even care that we perish? But it doesn't end here and that's where I want to jump into. This, this is a spot I really like. Jeremiah remembers God's faithfulness and goodness. Amen. So after verse 1 through 18, we go through this whole diatribe of grief and now we get to verses 19 to 21. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, my wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind. Therefore have I hope. Psalm 77. I, I left it off there intentionally, the one that my grandpa was looking through. After verse 9, 7 through 9, when he has all those questions, verse 10 says this. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. You see, both of these men, Asaph and Jeremiah, in the midst of their grief, they had to come to a point where I can't just keep focusing on this grief and this terrible suffering around me. I have to turn my attention back to God because he's the only one that can provide hope. Maybe I don't understand what's going on. Maybe I have doubts with with God, but he's the only one I can count on. He's the only one that's been there. And I'm going to recall and remember his faithfulness and goodness. You ever see somebody that starts almost kind of like coaching themselves and prepping themselves up? You ever seen somebody that's about to go out on a field uh, when they're about to play football or uh, or go out there when the bases are loaded in baseball, and what do they do? They almost start talking to themselves. You almost get this idea right here of Jeremiah and Asaph. They're talking to themselves, but encouraging themselves like David did when he was in the midst of intense grief. They're encouraging themselves in the Lord and remembering his goodness and faithfulness. So tonight, I'm going to share with you several things that they said, and then I'm also going to share other things that I've searched in scriptures talking about our God, that he is faithful and he is good. That even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our questions, we can go back and say, yes, God, you are good and you are faithful. You are the only one that gives me hope. So number one, Lamentations chapter 3, continuing on to verse 22 to 23, it says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What's interesting is this morning when Ashley's saying, that was the verse up there. Because those words, I believe God intended for us to hear them this day. So my first point is, he is faithful in his love and mercy. His love and mercy never go away. Just like I talked about last week, his mercy, it's rich, it's overabundant, it never runs out. Even if we doubt it, it doesn't go away. Next point, he is faithful to save me from my sins. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And it says this, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This was Paul speaking. One we would consider a very godly man, and yet he's saying, I am the chief of sinners. God is faithful to save each one of us. Just like I talked about, Two weeks ago when we were talking about Isaiah, when he stood before the presence of God, 
a godly man, one we would look up to, but when he stands and sees his separateness from God, realizes that he is a man that's unclean, realizes he's a man that's about to be destroyed, and yet God shows his mercy and grace to cleanse him. He is faithful to save me from my sins, not because I deserve it, but because he is good and he is faithful. He is faithful to keep his promises. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Uh, Young ones in here, I've told you this before, but there's been times in my life where I, I doubted my salvation. I really struggled with it through my teen years. And I wish I'd gone to somebody, but I didn't. I didn't go talk to anybody. I just sat there and kept it inside, kept it internalized. It wasn't until I got to college that I finally got assurance of my salvation. But this verse has been a great help throughout the years. Whenever any doubts or questions come up, he is faithful that promised. You see, I'm not depending on my own good works or my own righteousness. I can depend on God because he is faithful and he has promised. It goes back to that whole definition of faithfulness. It's, it's being trustworthy. If God says it's so, it's so. And I don't have to doubt. I don't have to worry about what might happen. 2 Timothy 2.13, If we believe not yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. That word believe not, that means unfaithful. So even if we are unfaithful, even if we are faithless, even if we have doubts and questions, he still can't deny himself. He is still faithful. His faithfulness is not dependent upon my weakness. It's dependent upon his character. He is faithful to chasten me. That's, that's an interesting one because we just talked about grace last week. Grace teaches us, or as I said, it instructs us, corrects us, chastens us, disciplines us. That's what grace does. And he is faithful to discipline me and chasten me in my life to, you could say, turn me back to him when I begin to stray because he does not want to see me go down that broad path to destruction. Psalm 119.75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. So just like he did with all the Israelites and just like he does in my life, he knows when I need that chastening. This isn't the only reason I experience suffering in my life. But sometimes it is a reason I experience suffering because of my choices. There are other reasons we experience suffering. We don't know exactly every time why God does something, but he's ultimately doing it for our good. He is faithful to forgive me. 1 John 1, 9. We all know this verse. And I believe this, this verse, this passage, if you, if you study it out, the context of it, I believe it's talking to Christians. And this is something we need to hear. He is faithful to forgive me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, even though we can't lose our relationship with God, I am always his child. Can I, as a Christian, can my fellowship be strained? Absolutely. We can have a strained relationship with God when we wander from him. But he said he is faithful and just to forgive us when we do come back, when we confess. That means to say the same thing as God and to be very specific. He is faithful to help me because he understands my suffering. In the midst of trials, doesn't it often feel like we're alone? Like we're the only person that's experienced this in, in, the, whole, in the whole world or maybe that's ever experienced this? But because of his very nature, because of who he is, and I want, want you to get this image back in your head of Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw him high and lifted up, sitting on the throne, the angels singing, holy, 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 he realized just how much undone he was because of the great glory and holiness of this great God. Remember I said, I believe this is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne based on what the gospel said in reference back to Isaiah. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18, this same Jesus, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted or tested, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. 
You see, he didn't just stay there. He came to us, was born of a virgin, became a man in the flesh, 100% man, still 100% God, and went through all the same testing and trials that we went through, except without sin. So he understands what we're going through. I'm going to explain this a little bit more. Isaiah 53, 3-5 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He is, was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. When I stop to think about what he went through for me, I begin to understand he knows what I'm going through. He knows what you're going through. He knows the same grief. I would say he knows it to a much greater degree. Because if you look at Matthew 27, 46... It says, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you look in scripture, I believe this is the first time, as I've studied, he doesn't respond or refer to God as his father. He says, my God, my God. You see it that a moment of intense grief as he was on the cross, bearing the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. You see this separation now that he's experienced. And by the way, he's never experienced this separation like we, we have. He doesn't know what this is like. He doesn't know what it's like to have this separation between him and his father because it's the perfect relationship. There's nothing like it. And at this moment, you almost get the sense that He feels alone, kind of like maybe we do when we're going through the midst of trials and suffering. We feel alone. He understands my suffering. He understands my grief. He understands what I'm going through. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, he gets it. He understands. And by the way, I'm not referring to those commercials. There's there's a whole lot of problems with it. I'm not I'm not going to go through that tonight. Um, he is faithful to rescue me from being overwhelmed. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. He will rescue you. He will not just let you stay in that midst of hopelessness, just like Jeremiah and just like Asaph and just like so many people have gone on before us. He will rescue out of it. He will make a way of escape. He will be there with you. He will not let you be tested above that you're able. He knows your limits. He is faithful to empower me to do his calling. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And the last one I have for faithfulness, he is faithful to keep me. 1 Peter 4.19, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That word is capitalized, creator. By the way, John chapter 1, who does it say was our creator? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He is my creator. And yet he suffered as we suffer, yet without sin. So he is faithful. God is faithful. And the next point is God is good. God is good to those who call on him for mercy. God is good for those who call on him for grace. Psalm 86, verse 5 says, For thou, O Lord, art good, ready to forgive, plenteous or rich in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You see, just like Jeremiah, when he felt or believed that God wasn't hearing his prayers, does God not hear our prayers? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? God doesn't regard our prayers if we are holding on to what? Sin. But does God hear? Yeah, he does. 
Even in the midst of that moment when you feel alone and believe you are alone, God still hears. And when you call on him for mercy, he hears as you call on him for mercy. He is good to those that wait for him and seek him. Lamentations 3, 24 through 25. So picking up back in Lamentations 3. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him. He is good. And even Jeremiah, in the midst of everything he's saying right here, finally he looks up and starts remembering, recalling to mind all of God's faithfulness and goodness. And he can just but exclaim, God is good. He's my portion. He's the one I go to. And tying right into that, he is good to those who trust in him in the day of trouble. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. He is the one I can run to in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that, those deep questions and doubts that we have. And I want to stop for a second before I get going too much further. Actually, no, I'll, I'll pick it up in just a second, that thought. He is good to those that are lost. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I love what it says in Luke where it talks about he went to find the one the 99 were safe, and they went to find the one that was lost. It talks about finding the lost coin. It talks about the, the prodigal son who walks away and comes back, and the father there is there waiting for him. He's the good shepherd. He's the one, and he gave his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Second Peter 3, 9, when we look at the world around us and we see so many evil people or so much wickedness in the world around us, it's easy to say, well, why is God not judging? Remember what I said last time about mercy, that we often love justice and do mercy? We have it backwards, but we're supposed to do justice and to love mercy. Why? Because God is merciful to me. God is merciful to you. God is gracious with me. God is gracious with you. And right here, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he is faithful. As some men would count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I have a question for you. How many of you were saved after 18? Just curious. If you could just raise your hand, I'm curious. Okay, several of you. Aren't you thankful that God waited to save you? Let me rephrase it. Aren't you thankful that God was long-suffering and allowed you to be saved? before anything happened over those 18 years. Okay, sometimes when, when people are saved at such a young age, they, they don't appreciate that in the same way. But after you've lived in that life, and you realized that you were standing right there on the edge of the cliff, and yet God was still faithful and long-suffering and merciful to you, waiting for you to finally come back to him and come to him and to ask him to save you, we begin to understand and see that God is faithful. And last point, for he is good, and then I'll talk about how this applies to us. He is good because his faithfulness endures forever. Psalm 107, 1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy, or his faithfulness, endures forever. That can also be translated faithfulness. But as you look through Jeremiah chapter 3, he's calling all these things back to mind, and I gave you some extra points in Scripture so you can begin to meditate on these, and hopefully these can be an encouragement to you. But you see, he's, he's not done being in grief. You see, even in the end of the chapter, and then in the next portion of it, he begins to kind of turn back to that grief, not to the same depth, maybe, that we saw in the first 18 verses, but we see it. So as we experience grief and suffering in our own lives, this is not just a quick fix. This is not just something that goes away overnight. Sometimes there's days where we have good days. There's sometimes days where we begin to have those doubts and questions come back into our mind, and we have to turn our mind and our focus back to God to remind ourselves that God is faithful and God is good, not only from the experience that I've had with my Lord, but also what his word says, because his word does not change. And sometimes my own observations and own experiences can't always be reliable, but his word is always reliable. So in times of trouble, we need to imitate Jeremiah, who looked away from himself to the Lord, who waited on the Lord in patience and faith, too often we look at ourselves and our problems and become so discouraged that we quit. Instead, we must look away unto Jesus and let him see us through. That's from Wearsby. 
So if we are going, and I want to say this too, one right here. What is one of the verses that so often we see that somebody goes and gives somebody else who's in grief, thinking like, okay, this is going to get them out of grief and fix them right away? Romans 8, 28. Okay, what's that verse? All things work together for good for them, to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. As well-intentioned as we are, does that really help at that moment? No, not any whatsoever. We don't like seeing people in grief and sorrow. It's hard. Our hearts go out to them, and we want to fix them. Um, guys, we're a bunch of fixers, aren't we? We think we can fix everything, don't we? We think when our, our kid has a problem, when our wife uh, needs our help, that we can just go in and say one thing, just, wow, I didn't think of that, and everything's going to be back to normal, and it's all good, right? This isn't, it isn't that way with grief, and we see that with Jeremiah. It doesn't just go away overnight. I mean, look at Job. I mean, there's 40-plus chapters dealing with him. Look at the Psalms. There's so many Psalms of lamentation. This is not something that just goes away overnight. So what can we do as those who are coming beside those in grief? What can we do? Well, what did Job's friends do that actually was good? They sat with them. When did it go wrong? They started talking. <laughs> okay. Often do things go wrong because we start talking. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just be with them. Um, when they start to ask us questions... What do we do? Don't give them helpful anecdotes. Just point them back to God. Because it's only God that can give them hope in that hopeless state. Psalm 40, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. When you come through those moments, it makes you so much stronger and it makes your relationship with God so much sweeter. But you still, and I still, like Jeremiah and Asaph, we have to at some point respond to it correctly and remind ourselves and recall God's faithfulness and goodness to put our hope in him, even if we don't understand. So how does this affect us? Because I don't want to just stop it right there. I want to talk about how should we respond to God's faithfulness and goodness, because as we experience in our own lives, as we see it day by day, some things we don't even notice, but God is faithful and good. As we study his word and turn our eyes to him, we can see he is the perfect example of faithful and goodness. So how should this affect my life? Well, in what ways has God called us to be faithful? We know in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, he says that, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So I put these three questions to you, and you can ask them to yourselves. How do we manage, and I'm not saying our time, how do we manage God's, God's time? You are bought with a price. That means we are not our own. Jesus, remember, he suffered. He suffered to take away the sins of the world. He suffered for you and me. You are bought with a price. So how do I manage God's time? How do I manage it in the morning? How do I manage it when I get home from work? How do I manage it on the weekend when I have free time? How do I manage God's time? How do I manage God's resources? Well, resources could be anything. It could be my house. Am I using my house for his glory? Am I inviting people over and using it for hospitality? Am I using my money for, for God's glory? Am I being faithful with that? Um, am I using my car? Am I using, you can name, you can name anything that you, you use for God's glory. How do we manage God's blessings to us? Because God gives us a whole lot of blessings, does he not? So many things that we don't deserve. He showers down on us, rains down on us. How do we manage those blessings? How are we faithful stewards that he has called us to be? I love what it says in Luke when it talks about um, the three different stewards. You got the one 
who I think had 10 talents. He had the one who had five and the one who had one. The first two doubled it. Uh, the last one just hit it and did nothing with it. The first two that comes to him, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, we all know what happened to that last one that came. And it was not a pretty picture because he did not use the one talent that God gave him. Some of us don't have a lot. That's okay. God knows what you need. But God expects all of us in the same way to use what we have and to be faithful with it for him. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. I read that verse earlier. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now I'm going to stop right here. What's that mean as the day, as you see the day approaching? What day? The what? The return of Christ. Christ is coming back. And if we look at the world around us, it's looking like it's coming quicker than we, we think. He's coming soon. And it's interesting that this passage right here is telling us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So what does that mean? Now, we could just say, well, that, that just means I just need to come to church. I just need to be here. You're right. You should. You should be in church. But that's not the end of it. I think it goes much deeper than that. What's he called us to do with the body of Christ? Exhort one another. another. If you look up that word, it's pericoleo, which means to come alongside somebody. This, This body of Christ, this church, it's not just meant to be people coming in and filling pews and then leave. We sing a few songs. We go out and we, we seem joyful. But then nobody's actually building each other up or coming alongside one another. You see, God intended for the church, and I, I think it's interesting when I was talking to the teens and asking them to come up with uh, what they believe the youth group should look like when they come to youth group, they came up with three things. One was, we have a genuine walk with Christ. The second one was family atmosphere. What does a family atmosphere look like? It's where people actually love each other like a real family should. That even though maybe they get on each other's nerves, they still can forgive each other, they still can come back to each other, and they can still talk to each other, and they can encourage one another. Like I said before, my brother and my sister, they're some of my best friends. Right? Not everybody has that. I'm very blessed to have that. But that said, just like a family blood relationship within the church, we have the common bond of Christ, which, which should draw us much deeper, sometimes even than blood relationships. And we should constantly be involved in each other's life. I'm not saying prying in people's lives. I'm not saying trying to dig. I'm not saying gossip, but actually be involved in the way that you actually know what somebody's going through and that you can pray with them and come beside them and sometimes put your arm around them to be there for them. That's what the church should look like. So yes, we need to be here, but it goes much deeper than that. We need to be building each other up and coming alongside one another. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity to let us do good to all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. Romans 12.21 says this, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Like I said, today's culture, it's pretty wicked. There's a lot of evil that we see in today's world, but how does God say we overcome that? With good. How did God overcome evil? Our evil, our sin. He overcame it with his goodness, his faithfulness. It's because of his goodness and his faithfulness. It's because of his mercy and his grace that we are not consumed. Like Jeremiah says, great is thy faithfulness. So why am I struggling to be faithful and good to other people? Why am I struggling to be good and faithful to God? That's a good question that we should probably ask. Beloved, 3 John, verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. In other words, and I love how John goes through this through the three books that he has. 
When we're not walking with Christ, it's pretty obvious, is it not? James talks about this too, James chapter 4. When we're not walking with Christ, when we're following our own wisdom, our own ways, there's a lot of strife, there's a lot of contention, there's a lot of backbiting. It just, it really begins to, to destroy relationships. And the same thing with relationships, both with God and with others, when I'm not walking with him, it begins to affect my faithfulness and my ability to do good. Galatians 5.16, this explains why this happens. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. That word walk means to have our daily lives under his control and his means under which the direction, under the direction of the Word of God. Let me say it again. Walk in the Spirit means to have our daily lives under his control, and this means under the direction of the Word of God. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, you won't fill your own, fulfill your own wicked desires. Remember we talked about worldly lust last week, about how his grace teaches us to deny worldly lust. In other words, it, it helps us to deny our own wicked desires. Well, how does this happen? How do we deny our own wicked desires? We have to be walking in the Spirit. How do we be faithful and good? We have to walk in the Spirit. Here's the works of the flesh, and I uh, paraphrase some of these. Adultery, fornication, impurity, excess, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalry, divisions, dissensions, envyings, murders, drunkenness, orgies. Not a great list. But it's a pretty uh, telling list when we are walking in the flesh. Do we ever have fits of anger? Do we ever have jealousy? Do we ever have strife? Do we ever struggle with being faithful to our spouse or being faithful to our children or being faithful to the church that God has called us to? Why is that? It's because we're walking in the flesh. But what's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. What's the next one? Goodness. Goodness. What's the next one? Faith, that's also translated faithfulness. Then the last two, meekness and temperance. You want to be faithful and good? You want to be faithful and good to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to the people in this church? You want to be faithful and good to God? It means I actually have to spend some time in his presence. I love what Pastor Todd said this morning about uh, devotions. I, I can't remember exactly how you said it. What did you say Something about Cheetos and uh, Little Debbie Snack Cakes. First of all, don't knock Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Those things are amazing. But whatever he said, it, it stuck with me, obviously. I can't repeat it. But I get the idea from it. It's almost kind of like drive-by devotions that we can sometimes have in the morning or our drive-by prayer that we have, and we just expect it to fit into our schedule and be convenient for us. But that's not the kind of life God has called us to. It's got to be intentional. We've got to make sure we're setting the time aside for it. Remember, this is God's time that he's given me to be faithful. And we can't let our priorities get out of focus where all of a sudden our to-do list, like Pastor was saying, becomes a higher priority than spending that time with God because we need God in order to exhibit this fruit. It's actually growth happening in our life. In other words, we need him in order to be faithful to our family and we need him to be good. Remember, the only way to overcome evil is with good. And we need to be the shining lights that we need to be in this world so that people see us and see there's something different about them. They're going through some really rough times, but they're not responding to it the way I would expect them to respond. They still have joy, even though they still have sorrow, even though there's still grief, you can see that intense pain, but the way they're responding, it it almost looks like they have hope. Where is that coming from? And people begin to see how we respond to these, these trials, these temptations, these sufferings. And it draws them to the one hope that only anybody can have. I want to close on this. And I'm just going to read this. This is, this is the words. I, I had my wife ask Miss Ash, or Ashley Ray to send the words from the song this morning. The title of the song, He's Always Been Faithful. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. 
Season by season, I watch him amazed in awe of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain he did not recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This is my anthem. This is my song. The theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. Let's pray. Father, I can stand up here and say you've always been faithful to me. You are a good and faithful God. Father, forgive us of our faithful, faithlessness. Forgive us when we question and doubt. Thank you for putting these accounts in the scriptures so that we know where to turn to and what to do when we are struggling with these very things in our heart. And help us to recall and remember your faithfulness and goodness. More than that, help us to be changed by your faithfulness and goodness. Help that to change as we look at you to change the way that we respond to other people and we respond to you. Help us to realize that our time is not our own. What we have is not our own. But it's gifts that we can give, that you've given to us, but we get to give back to you in humble sacrifice. Because you are worthy, O Lord. I pray that you would be with anybody who is going through intense trial and suffering right now. Give them hope. Help them to turn to you and look to you. Even if they don't understand, help them to see that you are faithful and you are good. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.